suffering um, that Job experienced, and even his wife didn't support him. Um, so, but he had this unflappable, unflinching uh, conviction that God could be trusted and that the best in his life is God's plan, which is infused with goodness and mercy. Uh, Job never doubted God's um, goodness. The, the scriptures are so powerful in providing us a strong um, wor biblical worldview that helps us to understand why bad things happen and the hope that we have of uh, recovering and a beautiful eternity that awaits. Wow, that's, that's something that we have. Good morning. The resilient life. We're going to look this morning in 2 Corinthians. So you can open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, if you're using the Bible in front of you, in the seat, it's page 937. Are we refined by what we go through or defined by it? Here are some of the hard things experienced by and endured by folks in our church family. Combat, the death of buddies being wounded, survivor guilt, murder of a child, sexual abuse growing up, a stillborn child, abandonment or rejection by a spouse ending in divorce, being alone. Uh, a, a, a rape, sexual assault, death of a child, end of life decisions for a parent, chronic debilitating illness of a child or a parent, life now revolves around 24-7 care, broken wedding engagement, loss of job, alcoholism, drug abuse, robbery at gunpoint. That's part of the list in our church family. Things endured by and experienced by. Do we have a broken world? Broken by sin. Uh, we saw and many of you interacted with and were so loving toward folks. We saw many of our friends at We Care uh, Warsaw yesterday. They've experienced and endured hard things. We see it every month on Gas Card Day. Some of our friends there who it just feels like one thing after another after another. Through involvement with lost sparrows, I've learned about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Now, somebody came up with a test, a list of the things that before you're age 18, how many of these 10 have you been through? They're things that are traumatizing, they are things that can rewire the brain. They are things that uh, leave scars on the soul. Uh, that test, I took the quiz. I have four and a half or five out of the 10. Broken world? You bet. Broken by sin. In this series, we've been talking about uh, trauma. We've been talking about how to develop a resilient soul in the face of hardships and hard things. Uh, I like thinking about it as a spectrum. Oh, here's how we defined resilience. We've, uh, we've talked about resilience as the capacity to recover from difficult life experiences, the process of successfully adapting to difficult life experiences, and the ability to heal from heart wounds and move forward in a healthy way. 
I'm changed by going through those hard things. But the, the whole issue of my soul recovering, adapting, healing, and moving forward. Broken world. Uh, got a spectrum up here, I think. Yeah, uh, we've talked about capital T trauma. Uh, that's when you actually think you're going to die. You can't breathe. There are severe health things. Your brain has been impacted. Uh, thought processes, the wiring, capital T trauma. Uh, you are in a spot now where functioning is very, very difficult. Then there's small t trauma. The word trauma is used a lot today, probably overused. These are the really hard things that change life, reshape life. Uh, and then there are the biblical terms for it, trials and struggles. Uh, everyone in this room and everybody watching at home, good morning, uh, everyone has the left side. Uh, that's just life in a broken world. Many have the middle. Life's been reshaped, changed. And some have the capital T trauma on the other side. We're going to look this morning at what God's Word says, uh, particularly from the life of the Apostle Paul, at how we recover, how we adapt, how we move forward. Have you endured hard things, been sinned against, oppressed, scarred by undeserved mistreatment? If so, you're in good biblical company. Job, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Naomi, Peter, Paul. I like the example of Paul, and we're going there this morning because he's both sides of the equation. He's the perpetrator doing damage to others. The oppressor, the persecutor, calls himself a murderer. But he's also then after... Uh, his life is transformed by putting his faith in Christ and his life is devoted to the spread of the gospel. He now is a victim of many, many hard experiences. He's both sides of the equation. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. How did he get there? We're going to look at that this morning. Is your soul stuck, not recovering? The pain or the struggle has you locked up and you feel like you're imprisoned by what happened or what is happening. I want for you a soul that can recover. I want for you a soul that can adapt. I want for you a soul that can heal and move forward. Four things to uh, Developing a resilient soul. First one, uh, seeing purpose, God's purpose in the pain. God's purpose in the pain. 1942, Viktor Frankl is a uh, therapist, um, neurologist in Vienna. And uh, he is arrested by the Nazis, he and his whole family, and is taken off to a concentration camp. He spends the next three years in four different concentration camps. When he's liberated, three years later, his pregnant wife has been killed, his parents have been killed, his family has been killed. And he writes a book right after he's liberated, and he describes what made the difference between those who lived and those who didn't. 
after being in a camp. Here's his quote. Everything can be taken from a person, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He said the people who survived had a sense of meaning and purpose in life. Those who didn't, didn't. A sense of meaning and purpose. So this morning, first step in a resilient soul, there's a sense of uh, we need to understand God's purpose in the pain. So here's what James says in chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. There's the left side of the spectrum. Consider it pure joy. How? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's God's purpose in the trial, in the struggle? Here's how it says it in Romans chapter 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Broken world, glory in them? Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Another translation says, hope does not disappoint. Often in a struggle or a trial, what I want to know, I will feel better, I think, if I can make sense of what is going on out there. Uh, I need to know that this is going to end up someplace good, that uh, the struggle or the suffering is going to result, in, it's going to work out somehow, and that out there it's going to make sense. That doesn't always happen, does it? And the point in understanding God's purpose and the pain is that uh, there's a difference between it making sense out there and me understanding a purpose in here. And when I can't make sense of it, when, God, why is this going on? Why don't you stop this? Uh, what's the point in this? When I can't make sense of it out there, I find purpose on, I camp on, what is God doing in here? Perseverance, maturity, character, hope. When I can't make sense of his purpose out there, I camp on his purpose in here. The last few years, I've been invited uh, to Momentum Youth Conference to do a seminar there. Uh, because of my background and my parents' uh, struggles and divorce and, and then uh, not coming to know Jesus till after all, that was, after all that was done. And so I've been allowed to do a seminar there, and it's for kids that are in situations where there's rough things at home. They're children of divorce. And in that, we spend most of the time talking about are you refined by what you've experienced, what your parents have put you through, what you've had to endure, or are you defined by it? That's uh, Viktor Frankl's choice. I get to choose whether that hard thing is going to produce things in me, it's going to shape me. Jason said it so well. It's going to shape me and refine me and my soul, or is it going to define me? I'm consigned as a child of divorce that my marriage is going to be rotten too. I'm afraid of what my future holds. Um, my parents couldn't make it work. How in the world could I ever make it work? Uh, 
All the things that come in assault in terms of fears and uncertainty, we have a choice on, am I going to be refined by or defined by? And because of God's purpose, the good news of the gospel is when you go through suffering and struggles and hard things, it isn't purposeless. You have the assurance that a God who never fails is working his purpose even in the worst that a broken world can throw at you and me. So first, it's purpose in the pain. Second, it's a refusal to lose heart. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and what Paul says. Um, he goes through a list, context here, false teachers have said bad things about Paul, are trying to make the Corinthians turn away from what Paul has taught in sharing the gospel and, and the church being planted there. They're all new believers. Verse 7 uh, of chapter 4, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, meaning the treasure of the gospel, the message of new life in Christ, forgiveness and relationship with God, the, the treasure of, he uses the paragraph before the picture of light, God's light into a dark, broken by sin world. That treasure is in jars of clay. We're frail. We are fragile. We can feel beat up and broken. The treasure is in jars of clay. Why? So that this all-surpassing power, is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then he gives four different pictures, metaphors of, of uh, conflict, warfare. He's either talking military or gladiatorial. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And then he summarizes it, verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. His summary is... Uh, Always dying, yet never lifeless because of Christ. He's talking about life in the midst of experiences that feel like and threaten death. How did he do it? How did he make it through those experiences? His answer is, that, look down at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. He handled those four things with resiliency because there was a refusal to lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. The word there means weightless. Wait a minute. Hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, light and momentary? They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All those hard things up in verses 8 and 9. Was Paul refined by them or defined by them? because of refusal to lose heart, he is refined by them. I like to think of it this way. It's a stubborn refusal. Yep, that person sinned against me. That person hurt me. That person, uh, the relationship is uh, 
It has caused pain to my soul, but I refuse to give them the power to, because of what they've done, destroy me. A refusal to lose heart. I shared, uh, and, and that happens through the inner spiritual renewal that happens through the sense of putting my eyes on what is eternal and unseen. A few weeks ago, I introduced you to the story of Catherine and Jay Wolf. Um, they met in college, uh, southeast, uh, married, moved to California, had their first little boy. He's in law school. She's working on actress jobs. A very talented couple. And right then, she has a congenital thing that explodes, brainstem stroke. And she goes from being a runner-up Miss Alabama to she can't lift her head and is in a wheelchair. She says it was a thanksgiving that the family was gathered, and she goes into a spot of despair. She's watching the family play with her little boy, and she can't even lift her head. And she says, despair washed over me as I watched the family play with a little boy, and I found myself wondering, did God make a mistake? Was I a mistake? Was the stroke a mistake? Did he know what he was doing? Should I have died? I'm caught here between life and death. She went from cooking to now she's taking her meals through a tube in her stomach. Went from going for power walks to she's now got two therapists and a walker and can barely walk one step. She says, I went from wearing cute outfit every day to wearing adult diapers and hospital gowns. I want my old life back. But every day that old life seems further and further away. Be so much better if I wasn't here. I could be in heaven instead. My husband could get a healthy wife and and my son wouldn't have to endure all of this. She said in that moment, uh, the Bible verses she had learned, how does inward spiritual renewal happen? God's word. We desperately need God's truth every single day. She said in that spot of despair on Thanksgiving, in her mind, Verses she had learned it as a kid just started bombarding. She lists 10 of them, including James 1 that we just looked at and one that we're going to look at here. She, 2 Corinthians 4 was one that, that came into her mind. And she said, when those things uh, flooded her heart, something supernatural occurred in those moments. As those truths hit me hard, God met me in the midst of the messiness of my life, and I felt fresh determination to press on and persevere. I suddenly felt extraordinary in spite of my terrible pain. That moment changed everything for me. It was my epiphany of hope. Epiphany of hope. Remember what Romans 5 said? Character brings hope and hope does not disappoint. I knew deep inside that my earth suit was only temporary. Hear her taking an eternal perspective here. I would never lose my heart in this situation because my soul was not what was wasting away. My body didn't work. That was all. There is something profound about hope. Something shifts. Hope heals. She's an example of refusing to lose heart. How? By inner renewal, God's word by an eternal perspective. I'm looking at the long term here, not what I'm going through in this moment. She was 
that is being refined. She has lifelong consequences and, and, and things that came from that stroke. She is being refined by them, not defined by them. So God's purpose in the pain, a refusal to lose heart, and then grace is enough. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 11. It's one of the spots, one of three in the New Testament, where Paul talks about what he went through, what he's endured. His list, I call them his adverse adult experiences, the things he suffered as he shared the gospel with people. Starting at verse 23, he's here defending himself against uh, what the false teachers are saying about him. Verse 23, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? What a list. Now, if we had the spectrum up there again, where do, where do Paul's experiences fit? Capital T trauma? Small t trauma? Trials and struggles? Pretty severe list. On top of that, he gives a couple of other paragraphs, and remember, there's no division at chapter 12 when he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He gives a couple paragraphs about other things he's experienced, and then he says, on top of all of that, then I was given a thorn in the flesh. Chapter 12, in verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. We don't know what this was. Is it a demon who's afflicting Paul, a messenger of Satan? Is it a physical illness? Is it one of the false teachers and the damage they were doing to him and his reputation? He asks three times, verse 8, God, please take it away, make it stop. No. God, please take it away, make it stop. No. God, please take it away, make it stop. No. Verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast. Interesting. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Desperate dependence on God's grace grows and develops resiliency. We don't get resiliency overnight. It comes when we understand God's purpose in the pain. It comes when we refuse to lose heart. It comes when we know God's grace is enough. When it's hard, when it's painful, when I don't know how it's going to turn out, when it is a struggle, I want out. God, take it away, make it stop. 
but God's answer is, my grace is enough. One in our church family uh, posted recently that last song that we sang, God's never late, he'll show up. And the post was about what happens when it feels like he hasn't shown up. What about when it feels like he is late? He hasn't given me relief or recovery yet. What do you do when you feel like that? Most people don't want to sit in this grief. It's naked and raw. Most people aren't comfortable dealing with the broken and the messy. We don't want to get too close to naked humanity or too personal with suffering. When suffering comes, when death comes, who will bear it with us? Who will see us through it? Yesterday, I cried in church because God did not show up in the way that I have begged. Grace and healing didn't come on my terms. I've learned that following God means that I'm called to get personal with brokenness and suffering. It means accepting that I can't fix it. I can't save them all. In fact, I can't save any redemption was never my job. My job is to sit and wait in the sorrow mixed with the blood, tears, and saliva of humanity and desperately whisper my surrender to a throne called grace. That's so well said. Desperately whisper my surrender to a throne called grace because when I die, when it's all stripped away, naked and exposed, I will find unmerited and unearned grace. This person ends it with, I cried in church and God sat beside me. Is God's grace enough? Fourth, uh, understanding God's purpose in the pain, I refuse to lose heart. God's grace is enough and owning my identity in Christ. So you have an insert in your bulletin today. Would you pull that out, please? You have an insert there on our identity in Christ. It's in three sections. This was something that, uh, this is from Neil Anderson, used by permission, Fight Club a few years ago. Our assignment was to read it aloud to ourselves every day. That's what I'm going to do this week, and I invite you to do the same. Because owning our identity in Christ builds a resilience in our soul, uh, gives us a part of what's required for a resilient life. I'm going to read it aloud to myself this week. This is about the truth of who we are when we place our faith in Christ, what God says about us. How did Paul get to the point of being able to deal with his scars uh, as being the perpetrator and his scars being the victim to say, here's how he said it in 1 Corinthians 15, for I'm the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew all the garbage in his past. He knew what he had done to others. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He also knew that whole list here in chapter 11 and 12 of what had been done to him. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It anchors our souls to know who we are in Christ, accepted, secure, significant. When kids are playing tag, 
there's always one aspect of the game of tag. Freeze tag, regular tag. They're chasing each other around the yard, and they always set up a base. It's the safe spot. So you're chasing my brother, and he goes and he touches the tree. This is the base. I'm safe. You can't get me. Can't be tagged. In life, when the hard things, the struggles, the trials, the traumas come at us and threaten your soul, identity in Christ is the safe spot. Base, you can't get me. Base, safe place. To know who we are in Christ, we have to know God's word and what he said about us. There is a safe place. When your identity is centered in something that can be taken away, job, health, wealth, spouse, children, you will struggle to recover, adapt, and move forward. The sin against you, the damage of your past will threaten to define you. I often, when I see someone who is just stuck in what happened, uh, what was done to them, often their identity is rooted in something other than who they are in Christ. And that has to change to get free of what was done in the past. When identity is centered in who God says you are, your soul has a safe base that allows you to recover, adapt, and move forward. The more you understand who you are in Christ, the better you understand good God. Broken world, broken by sin. Good God, what about the moments when it doesn't feel like it, when I can't make sense of it, when it doesn't go away? The more I understand and anchor myself in my identity in Christ, the more I'm able to say the second half of that. Broken world, good God. Broken world, good God. My identity in Christ builds resilience because it is three things. It is the antidote. It builds resilience because it's the antidote to the devil's lies about God. He doesn't care about you. Look at what he's put you through. Uh, He's detached. He could care less. You're going to trust him? What's the antidote to those lies from the devil about God? What he's done for me, what it means that I belong to him. The devil's going to use lies about you. Oh, look at what you did. You could never recover from that. Look at what they did to you. You're damaged goods. Your future is determined. You're defined by what happened. And our identity in Christ is the antidote to those lies. It's the truth, God's truth about who we are. It's an anchor. Uh, All that stuff that I don't know how it's going to turn out out there, but there's at least an anchor for my soul in here that I know uh, there's resilience developing because I know where I'm anchored. I know my safe spot. And third, it's our authority to speak even from our damage into a lost and broken world. I'm broken too. What do I have to say to a broken world? A lot. Because of Jesus and what he's done and offered to us. It's our authority to speak. We have the same choice that Catherine had, 
that the writer of the post had, we get to choose, am I going to be defined by this hard experience and struggle and its ongoing impact in my life, or am I going to be refined and shaped by it? So now what? I want to encourage us as a church family this morning, several things that God's putting you into a position to be able to impact others in the church family who have gone through such hard things and struggles. What do you do? Many of you are doing it already. You listen well. You listen well. You friend well. Uh, Sometimes the best thing is to just sit and listen. You don't have answers. I don't have any answers, but I'll listen. I'm so sorry. Pastor Kip talked about it in the, the process of grief. We listen well, we friend well, we talk and teach well, we speak the truth in love. Nope, I think you're following one of the lies from the enemy. Let's refocus on what has God said. Who is he? And we refer well. You know what? It's time to take the next step. We should go talk to somebody. Somebody on the counseling team, one of the pastors, one of the, one of the counselors in town who's a believer and will, will help you turn to what does God have to say about this? Refer well. What if you're stuck? You're in the midst of the struggle and you know your soul is stuck at what was done to you or what you have done or what God allowed. What do you do? I was asked recently in a public setting, it was chapel over at Lakeland Christian. I was asked to explain how I got from a dysfunctional home of divorce and a destructive relationship with a harsh and abusive dad. How did I get from there to loving God, loving people, and some sense of peace with the hard things in the past. Tried to recapture and end this morning with a few of the things that I said to those students. First of all, the gospel. Getting saved, my decision to trust Christ as a senior in high school changed so much It didn't change my family, still dysfunctional, still messed up, still struggling, but it gave me a new one, a church family. It didn't change my dad, but it changed my attitude toward him and my expectations of him. It started me on a path of understanding what great forgiveness God had given me, and that dissolved my anger at my dad, my disgust with my dad. The gospel is part of what moved me from the struggles to loving God, loving people. Second thing, by God's grace, I didn't go down a path of demanding a why. I was able to focus more on who. I don't have a good explanation for why, but I didn't go through spending a lot of time looking backwards and going, why, why, why? That hurts, that hurts, that hurts. How come I'm never going to get from my dad the approval, the affirmation, the acceptance? How come I get to the point of being a dad and I don't really know how to be a dad because it was broken down? I didn't spend a lot of time with whys. I think that was God's grace to me on I'm going to focus on who he is and who he's called me to be, who he says I am, and move forward by God's grace. Another thing that happens is crossing a line. 
a lot of well-known followers of Christ that have talked about abuse in their background and how did they get to the point of being able to move forward, recover, adapt. And they all use, they different, use different words, but my words for it are, they all talk about crossing a line. God didn't know, he didn't care enough to stop it. God is too weak to stop it. God must be mean. Uh, why did he put me in a family like that? They cross a line into, nope, I know what is true about God because I know it from his word. He is loving, he is sovereign, he is in control. We are in a broken world and he redeems even the most broken of garbage in this broken world and, and uses it for purposes that I don't understand. Every one of those well-known Christians has at some point taken that step across that line. I got asked by a counselee once, said, uh, how'd you get there? How'd you cross the line? Um, God's grace and making a choice. I'm not gonna let all that in the past control and rule the rest of my walk, life, and relationship with Christ. That's a big decision. Easier said than done. Christy once, uh, the, another part of my answer, said, um, you, uh, it was a, we were married a couple of years, things were really bad with my dad. She said, you know why you're going through this, don't you? I was grumbling. Why? I don't like it. She said, it's because uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the things you learn from God, you're going to get to share with others. God's going to put you in the future alongside a bunch of other people going through similar things, and he's going to use you to help them. Oh. (laughs) She was so right. So right. The things we endure and struggle through, God's got a purpose in our helping others. And last... I think everyone in life with their hard things, we're all on the left end of the spectrum, trials and struggles, and all of us get a choice about, I'm going to spend my life shaking my fist at God. How dare you? I don't want to go through this. You have no right to put me through this. And that's kind of, you know some people like that. The, The rest of life is spent there. Instead of, I can't make sense of it. I don't like it. Please take it away, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to you. A desperate dependence on him. All of us make a choice of shaking the fist or grabbing hold and hanging on. You're going to have to, God, bring me through this because it is painful and hard. Will it define us? Or will it refine us? Let's pray. God, in a broken world, we desperately need you as our good God. We desperately long and wait for you to show up, to to be able to feel you are answering in the way that we've waited, the way that we've begged, the way that we have pleaded. And in those moments that are the hardest, We turn to your grace. We turn to your purpose. We depend on and cling to you. I pray that you'll take each one today that is going through a particular struggle, maybe on the list, maybe something different. 
and you'll show yourself strong and faithful and loving and graceful and help them to anchor and stand strong and cling to you. We need you. Please build into us resilient souls that will be a light and a help and a blessing to all around us in this broken by sin world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Let's go be a blessing.